Father, you are our hope. You are our treasure. You are the promise that we cling to, the promise that we see and know. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for adopting us as your sons and daughters. We will forever be with you. When that trumpet sounds, we will be with you. And that is our hope. Father, speak to us tonight for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. In the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well. Um, it's it's a joy to connect with you guys uh, this evening, and I wanted to uh, kick off our time uh, by uh, by asking you a question. Have you ever thought about First Corinthians thirteen? Right, there's a little passage in there that speaks with three words, and a lot of times we have those words even in our house. And the three words that are put together there in First Corinthians thirteen are what? Faith, hope and love, right? And, uh, and I find it interesting. I mean, in all, my, in all my years of kind of growing up in church and then doing sermons and, and, and experiencing these types of contexts, either in children's environments or student environments or adult environments, we speak so much on love and so much on faith. And, you know, t- typically it's like hope is almost kind of reserved for funerals, like, oh, well, there's great hope, right? And so we just kind of toss that out there, and we don't do a whole lot of messages on hope. And I just wanted us to make a case for hope. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about hope, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I believe is a passage that should build our confidence. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you, if, if you are following hard after Christ, this should be such an affirming piece of of scripture for you as we move forward in our faith that what hopefully my prayer is what happens is no matter what you're experiencing in this moment now maybe you've got some friends or family in Oklahoma that have just experienced some very difficult times and this is something that you can take to them right maybe they'll be listening as we record all these and they're online for public consumption and they can download it whenever they want and that's fantastic Um, maybe it's for you personally right now because you're walking through some challenging times and you need a little extra dose of hope. Uh, Maybe things are just going swimmingly well. Uh, Kids are out of school or, uh, or almost and summer is upon us and life is good and you're looking forward to an amazing couple of months off with your family as or as they had the kids have off or grandkids are over more or whatever and life is just good and you know what my prayer for you is that this next few minutes is something that you can kind of stick in your back pocket because at some point we need this at some point we need to absorb this into who we are uh, actually we should be living it 24 7 but sometimes we need to go back to this and remind ourselves. And that's what we're going to do tonight, as a matter of fact. Um, hope's been on my mind. <clears throat> uh, hope is, uh, is, is something that we need. We're going to make a case for it tonight. What, what, hope, uh, what hope gives us that really we can't give or create for ourselves. Um, we look at our country, arguably, right, the, the greatest country on the planet. And yet we see corruption Everywhere, It's in our politicians. It's in our agencies. It's even in Disney World, right? Did you see that, Did you see that, uh, that, that story this week where the, 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 the disabled travel agents 
have this whole plan where they basically have your family hire them and they become your token disabled person to get to the front of all the lines in Disney World. Right? So you just pay them like 50 bucks an hour or whatever, and that way you get to do as many rides as possible because they're your token disabled person for the afternoon, for the day at the park, whatever. And Disney World's going, oh man, we don't think this is right. This is awful. And some people are saying, wow, that's quite entrepreneurial of them. And, you know, and, and, and there's all this debate back and forth. And, and finally, it came down to one person I heard uh, say this week, well, you know what? It's just, I mean, there's no law against it. It's just, it just seems kind of immoral. Okay, well, we can debate laws or morality or immorality or whatever. All I'm going to say is that little, just tiny little piece that's not even specifically spelled out in the Ten Commandments makes us look at who we are as a people and go, ah, we need something outside of ourselves because our laws don't cut it. And no matter what government we're under doesn't cut it. And we are in need of a holy God to purify us and to create in us a clean heart. Because ultimately, governments are not our hope. And laws are not our hope. And leaders are not our hope. And agencies are not our hope. The IRS is not our hope. Amen. Now, amens might not come after this one, though, right? Guns are not our hope. Ah. I'm done. Uh, A strong military is not our hope. West and Granbury and Moore and yesterday, El Reno, we have watched as people's lives have been turned upside down. How do people walk through catastrophes and end up stronger on the other side? Cancer and unemployment and infidelity and addictions and grief and depression and divorce. And the list goes on and on and on and on. So much we face that pushes us to the brink. I I think one of the reasons I've been thinking about hope so much lately is all of the people in my life that I've been brushing up with as of late that that have experienced death or that died. Um. Think about my friend Wes that I've told you a lot about, who we've talked about, who we prayed for his wife and have been praying for his wife, Susan, and and their family. And I mentioned how at the end of my visit with him, before he died three days later, Wes said as I was leaving, my hope is in the resurrection. And that's just been playing in the back of my mind ever since he said that to me a few weeks before Easter. Last week, I was presiding over the funeral of one of my former students from in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, he was a, a senior at Tennessee Tech, um, had an illness going on inside of him. They thought things had been taken care of. He had a surgery. They thought things were fine. His family had moved to Texas. Um, he was back recovering with his family. Things were looking good. He was about to head back to Tennessee Tech to do two classes that he had left to graduate from Tennessee Tech and then come back for his master's degree at Letourneau and dies in his dad's arms in their house in Longview last Wednesday. Uh, we could go Wednesday. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out there with the family all last weekend before I went and drove up to summer camp to hang out with our students there. And I'm experiencing the grief of this family. The mom and dad have been small group leaders of mine. And 
uh, he, he's got two older brothers, the, one in College Station, one in Florida. And they had come in, obviously, and we're all sitting there in the living room. And, and, and mom is just like, ah, it wasn't his time. I should go before him. As any parent would think, it shouldn't be my kid first, right? And we're, we're kind of walking through all that in the living room and just kind of, wow, it gets to the funeral the next day, a week ago today. As a matter of fact, the funeral happens and, and, um, and, and Zach's dad walks up in front of everybody during the funeral and he starts to talk and I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I've made it so far through this thing, but I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to hang tough for them, you know? And I'm like holding on together, you know? And, 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 and Jonathan stands up there and he talks for like about a minute and a half and at the very end he just says, Zach, I'll see you later. Hope. This family was grieving with hope. I mean, they were emotionally wrecked, but there was great hope. What is hope? Is it something that can just be yanked out of a hat whenever we need it? Or is it something that we live and that we walk in through good and bad? How do we live with hope? What is hope? It's this confidence that we have, right? We're going to get to the definition in a minute. But this this hope, when our world is falling apart, how do we live with confidence when we have pain in our life? One of the things that all of us have in common is that we will all experience pain. Some of us already have. Some of us will experience even deeper pain than what we've already had. There are some things in this world, and we know this. All of us in this room know this. We've seen this on the news as of late, very close to where we live. This world stinks. And there are things that slam into us, that cause us, that challenge us to lose our confidence. And you're cruising along, no sweat, and all of a sudden, bam, something fractures in your life. And some pain hits, and you go, how do I live with this? How do I have confidence? What is hope? A definition to have confidence, to trust, to look forward to with confidence or expectation. Here's the question. Do you know somebody right now who needs hope? I bet we could all thumb through the Rolodex in our mind and find somebody that needs hope. A hope-filled life. I'm going to make a case for it. Number one, Oakville Life realizes this isn't all there is. That's what the tape was all about, right? The start, and then it goes on and on and on. Romans 8 is where we are. If you want to turn there, great. It's in you version. The notes are there. The verses are there. It's also on the screen, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. A great word that you could underline there would be the word consider. Because in the Greek, what that word basically says is, do the math. (laughs) Just do the math. This is not all that there is. Hope has me looking toward eternity, and as I do it, I realize that this isn't all that there is. As a matter of fact, our time spent here is only a fraction, a tiny fraction, compared to what is to come. And my best day that I live on this earth 
is incomparable to all the rest of the days that I live with that mask and tape all throughout and beyond that curtain. Remember in John 14, Christ told his disciples he was headed to heaven to pick back up the hammer, right? I mean, he had been doing all the woodworking there with Joseph and Nazareth in the shed out back, right? Well, he was going to heaven to pick back up the hammer to build a whole bunch of mansions. Everybody was going to be taken care of. It's all good. He's telling them there's great hope in what's to come. I have to admit, um, I do watch from time to time House Hunters on HGTV. I know that may not be the most manliest thing in the world to do. Um, but sometimes when a favorite Houston or Dallas team of mine is not playing, I'm going to flip it over to HGTV. And, um, and, and, I'm, and, and I like House Hunter because you know, some of you are laughing because you're like, oh, I watch that show. I'm not going to tell you I do. I'm not going to act like I do. I'm not going to tell the person next to, to me I do, but I do. And, you know, there's, there's three houses that they're looking at, right? Right? See, I see a lot of nodded heads. So you watch it too. Okay. So they're, so they're trying to decide on these three houses. And, uh, and Holly laughs at me because what happens is um, we're watching it, and I, and I inevitably pick the one house that they X out first. I mean, I'm just convinced this is the one. And they're like, well, it's definitely not that one. I'm like, what are you doing? Right? And so she laughs at me just about every time we ever watch it. She's like, oh, whatever you say is going to be wrong. And, but I, I, I was laughing at the show about a month or so ago because I was watching it and there, there, were, there was this couple and the, this is what illustrates their issue, right? The realtor, the realtor said, I'm finding it hard to find this couple a brand new older home. <laughs> because, because she wanted an older home in a more established neighborhood, you know, and he wanted a brand new home. And I mean, the impossible task and everything that she showed them, they were both just like, neither one of them liked it for whatever reason, right? I mean, it was just like, it was all wrong. It was wrong because she was trying to land somewhere in the middle, hot or cold, spew out of my mouth, whatever. It just wasn't happening. And so it just, it was, and it was just hysterical to watch them be so disappointed, at least it was funny from my end, right? We are headed to a place that the Apostle Paul says cannot compare with anything we have or can experience here. A hope-filled life realizes this isn't all there is, and we will not be disappointed. We will not be disappointed. There will not be a tinge of disappointment in us. You say, yeah, 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 I, I know that, I know that, I know that, Randy. Yes, but you know what? We live so much on that, this much of the tape that we forget. We live on this much of the tape so much with our focus so much here that we forget, don't we? We just do. But this isn't all there is. Hope also remembers we live in a messed up world. A hope-filled life remembers we live in a messed-up world. You say, Randy, I know that. I know you do. But sometimes we believe all kinds of various lies, like, well, God is just out there to get me. Or, or God is doing this because of what I haven't done for him. Or that just isn't fair, and so God must not really be in control, because if he was really in control of what was going on, then it would be fair. And, and, and the reality is we live in a broken world, and bad things happen. And, and when you're the parent of young kids, what you hear a lot in your house, right, is, well, that's not fair. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's not fair. 
And we condition ourselves, even as young children, early on, to believe that fairness is a high, high value. It's not fair those people have more money. It's not fair those people get free stuff when I have to work for it. It's not fair my son died before me. It's not fair. And you know what? That's a correct statement. Things are not fair. Life isn't fair. God doesn't always seem to operate fairly. But he is always just. And he is always right. And we can trust that he will be the righteous judge. But in the midst of our pain, we must realize the best is yet to come. And that truth is this world is just broken. And God is not standing on the edge looking for opportunities to just stomp on us at every little mistake that we make. Romans 8, 19, 22. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. You see, as, as punishment for man's disobedience, Adam was to do what? To gather his food from ground cursed with thorns and thistles. But the curse isn't permanent. The physical universe was negatively impacted by Adam's sin. Sure. But there is hope. If you go back to verse 21, it says that a day is coming when the created order will be set free from its bondage to decay. There will be a day when God will make all things new. I think Jesus gives us both a reality check and an answer we can count on until that day in John 16, 33, when he said, and you know this, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. This uh, time of year makes me think about um, my own graduation from high school. Um, I, I, I did 20 years of full-time student ministry, and so I, I, I attended more commencement services than any person on the planet during that 20 years, I think. Oftentimes more than one, right? And so I'm going to all these, and I, here's, here's what I will say is I can't remember anything any commencement speaker said, nothing. Out of all of those, 20 years, I can't remember anything. But with my own, I can remember one thing that my commencement speaker said. His name was Bill Baeza. He was the uh, local affiliate news anchor for NBC News in Houston. I think he's actually still there, believe it or not. He must be so very old. And um, he, was, he was there. And I don't remember anything he said until the very end when he said, I'm going to give you three challenging things before you leave. Three things to think on before you leave. He said, number one, Never give up. Number two, never give up. Number three, never give up. I remember that. Now, he probably got it from like Winston Churchill or something. I don't know. I haven't researched it in all these years. But he said, never give up, never give up, never give up. A hope-filled life refuses to give up. Romans 8, 23. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting, I'm not going to give up, for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, our bodies, all new. 
Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait. I'm never going to give up for it with patience. Because you see, I'm never going to give up. So this passage reminds us that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 23? The Holy Spirit acting as the first fruits. In other words, it's living in us as a sort of down payment, securing what is to come. His presence in us securing as a down payment for what is to come. This passage paints hope as what? As this sustaining element of our journey through the suffering and the challenges of this world. It is this hope that helps us refuse to give up. But we often find ourselves wrestling with God. I mean, his timetable just doesn't seem right, in our opinion. He doesn't do things fast enough. Or in the case of Zach's death, he allows things to occur too soon. But hope refuses to give up. It says, I know I can't see it right now, but I choose to be patient. The Holy Spirit living in me is the guarantee that I have hope for what is to come. And some of you needed to hear that right now because you've got a child or a grandchild and they are making some awful decisions. Kurt Williams was here back earlier in the school year and you know, it's just, I shouldn't have been blown away, but I really, I was, just, I was just amazed that whole weekend how every time he spoke, all these people would come and talk about how they were just battle-weary of things, of decisions, of consequences their children were experiencing or were about to experience, or their grandchildren. I get it. We need hope. Maybe a couple you know, maybe one or both of them are about ready to just end it, just stop, just quit. It appears like the relationship is, is, is over, and they're about to end. There are opportunities I believe this is a window. This is a moment for us to go, you know what? How does God want to use me as an ambassador of hope? Hope in Christ is really unlike any other hope that we have in anything else. When I was doing the marathon back in December and I hit mile 22 and I had cramps in my, in my quads, you've heard this, and, and cramps in my, in, my, in, my, uh, in my calves and I'm running a mile 22 with, with Matt upstairs and, and, and I'm running like the 10 man, right? It's like a run walk thing and I'm just kind of doing this deal and in my mind, right? As goofy as I looked in my mind at mile 22, I had hope that I would finish. I had hope that, that I would get there before they rolled up the, the, the finish line. Right? I had hope that the crowd would still be there. I had hope that my wife would be there. I had hope that my kids would be there waiting for me. I had hope that I would get there. Can I just tell you, hope in Christ is unlike any other thing or person or substance that we can attach hope to because you can hope that your body gets you across the finish line and it may or may not. And you can hope that that medicine that you take will finally work and it might or it might not. And you can hope that the counselor that you've picked out this time will help the relationship and it might or it might not. And you can hope that all the lessons that you've taught your child or your grandchildren will help them navigate through college unscathed and they might or they might not. But I believe that we can live anchored in a hope to Christ that says, come what may, God will redeem it all that God uses every experience that happens to me for his glory and that one day all things will be made new. So I refuse to give up 
Because my Savior will redeem it all. Nothing will be wasted. All I know is that he has called me to set my sights on the finish line and I am going to run the race. A hope-filled life also relies on God's presence. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is an interesting portion of Scripture here. I read one commentator that wrote that this passage has a standing on the edge of mystery. Ooh. I like that. The Holy Spirit groaning. The Holy Spirit communicating to the Heavenly Father with groans. What does that mean? There's just a a mystery about that. The Holy Spirit on our behalf, when we are unable to get across what we are thinking or feeling, or we are unsure as to what we should or should not say to God, what a relief that we can rely and rest in His presence and His Spirit is enough. Have you ever said this to God? God, I don't know what to pray. You know, God meets us in that point. Maybe you came in here thinking about something that you just don't quite know how to talk to God about. He says, I'll meet you right there. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is ready to groan on your behalf. It's a mystery there, but he meets us in that presence. He says, rest in me. A hope-filled life almost done here, rejoices that God really is in control of it all. Romans 8, 28, probably the most famous of all scriptures found in the book of Romans, right? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. What a hope-filled verse this is. It quite simply states that God is involved in the circumstances of life in such a way that for those who love him, don't miss this, those who love him, the outcome is always Beneficial. Now, he defines beneficial later in the next verse as what? As forming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's not miss that. Let's not also miss that there's something in the present tense here that's on both sides of the equation. Did you see the word work up there? And and, and also, uh, uh, for, let's, see, for, uh, let's see, work and who love God. In both of those sets, both the work and the who love God are present tense in the Greek, meaning it's an active relationship. Not only God actively involved from his point, but me actively engaged in my relationship with him as well. Hopefully, life rejoices that God is in control. Finally, a hope-filled life relies hope, relay, re- relays hope to others. It's the, it's, it's the Olympics. It's the, it's the passing the baton. It's, 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 it's living a life of hope for our children and grandchildren, for the next generation and for the generations to come. But it's also giving and being an ambassador of hope to those that desperately need it in our oikos, in our circle of influence, in the relationships that surround our lives. And not only that, but we ourselves, verse 23, let's go back, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan with ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Remember at Easter, if you were here as we were, as we were talking about this, 
at that 5.30 service, we talked about the first fruits and that it was the crop that was, that, that, was, that was come in at the very beginning and it was symbolizing and believing in the crop that was to come. And it was Christ coming on our behalf and, and, and defeating death so that he became the first fruits of what was to come. And, 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 and I believe that that symbolism there is so very powerful because we also, as God allows hope to infiltrate our lives, we become the first fruits of those that go on bef- ahead of us who also can receive that hope. We are to relay that hope. We are a part of the relay. It should not end with you or me. A couple of final thoughts, verses here. First Peter 3, 15, But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. That's what tonight is about. It's being reminded of the benefits of hope for ourselves. That we walk in that. But it's also saying, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to share this hope. Romans 15, 4 says that for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. How did we get the hope? By looking at the scripture and seeing it all laid out. God breathed love letter to us revealing hope in his son Jesus. That's how we absorbed it. That's how we walk in it. If you haven't been walking in it, if you've never walked in it, that's the first step is saying, yes, Jesus, I need you. That's what these people right over here in this water, when they took the plunge, that's what happened. They were going public with a decision that they've already made to say, yes, I'm going to walk in the hope that Jesus gives me that this life isn't all that there is. And I place my faith in him for forever. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Sing that with me again. We sang it a minute ago. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand all of the ground is sinking sand God thank you for reminding us tonight that Jesus is our hope God thanks for reminding us that this is not all that there is we don't really have to be reminded I guess God that we live in a fallen world although sometimes we ask questions of you like we have. (laughs) God, thanks for reminding us that we don't have to give up, that we can be hope-filled and no matter what we face in this life, we can rest in your presence knowing that nothing catches you by surprise, that you that you are in control and that God, you have called us to be ambassadors of hope to a world that desperately needs it. 
God, we, we recognize, we, <laughs> we just, we bump shoulders day in and day out with lots of different people who live for that one foot of masking tape. And they probably put their head on the pillow at night with very little hope for the future. God, may we just be reminded daily as we interact with others, as we live our lives, that this is not all that there is. God, thanks. Thanks for meeting us in this moment. Thanks for the amazing picture of baptism tonight, for the hope that's represented there. God, may we experience this final moment of worship with you in a way that we are just listening for your direction so that we can take, as we've already said to you, God, our next step of obedience. In Jesus' name.